one of the important implications of the planning process is you actually think about what matters to you. You know, you define how you want to spend your time, what sort of things you want to do, what sort of stuff you need in your life to be happy. Um, and once, once you have that plan, you're basically building a life on a foundation of knowledge about well-being, about your personal well-being. And your, your personal well-being, your identity, your, the thing that makes you happy and, and, and makes you look back and talk about personal finance being way more personal than it is about finance, way more about who am I, where do I want to go, what do I want to do, who do I want to be, than it is about money. But somehow money has become the core, has become the center. Uh, that's, that's why there's so much stress is the thing that actually is, should be tangential, should be something that's supportive, has become the thing we talk about all the time. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Mental Purpose Podcast, where our mission is to elevate, educate, empower, enrich, and evolve men to be on purpose. Now, here's the addition. To live the most authentic, fulfilled, regret-free lives possible. Right? So say it again. To evolve, or sorry, to elevate, educate, empower, enrich, and evolve men to be on purpose, to live the most authentic, fulfilled, regret-free lives possible. That is awesome. That's our mission, and we're sticking to it. And if you don't fully believe it, follow our lead because we will take you to where you want to go. I guarantee it is our mission in life. It is the mission of this podcast, and we're doing big things. It's awesome. So thank you for being here. Today's show is awesome. We're talking about money. We're talking about money problems. We're talking about ego. We're talking about all kinds of stuff. Before I introduce you to our guest, Jonathan Dio, a little bit of housekeeping, a couple resources that we have available, our Mental Purpose Facebook community. It's the mental purpose community. It is growing like wildfire. It is awesome. It is freaking awesome. And there's so much stuff going on inside. We've got a book club that meets every week, reading a book every month, purposeful books, not BS books, but we're talking about what we're getting from these books, personal development books, what we're getting personally for our own development from these. And we created an ecosystem of like-minded individuals that are doing the same thing within the community. They listen to the podcast, they're listening to cool books, they're listening to other cool podcasts, and they're all sharing that within the community. They've got experts in there like Dr. A, who you guys know from the show. He's in there talking about health and nutrition and wellness and physical fitness. We've got other experts in there too. There's a masterclass every Thursday led by me or one of the other coaches in there. It is amazing. And right now, it's still free. So if you haven't yet, get your butt over there. Men on Purpose community, don't be confused by the Mental Purpose podcast community, which we really don't do anything with. We just post the podcast stuff in there. So Men on Purpose community, join it up. Next thing is um, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, go to iTunes, wherever you listen to the podcast, hit that subscribe button. And if you would be so kind, give me a five-star review and tell us what you love about the podcast. And guess what? If you don't love stuff about the podcast, DM me and tell me about it because I course correct this thing. It's not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm guessing at this thing every day. And I've got to go buy feedback from the audience as to what you guys like and what you don't like. So that's it, right? Cool. If you need anything from me coaching-wise, you want to come to one of our front-runner events, if you just need to book a discovery call for 20 minutes just to help have me or Aaron or somebody else in our group work you through something, don't be afraid. We're not going to bite. We're not going to charge you. 20-minute phone call. You can go on our Calendly page. You can book that up. No problem. We'll help you out. We'll take care of you. We appreciate you listening. So we want to give back as much as we can. Now, with that said, here's what we're going to be talking about. Oh, actually, sorry. IanLoboss.com. 
frontrunner.group if you want one of our frontrunner events, which are our weekend master, um, you know, personal performance mastery, weekend involvement retreats. They're freaking awesome. They are a deep, deep dive into the inner world. It's basically dynamite to blow up that inner space that you've been kind of chipping away at with a little rock hammer. We're the dynamite. We'll blow it up for you in a very safe space that you can feel comfortable talking about things, getting vulnerable, getting authentic with yourself, with us, having us work you through it with a very systematized, very structured format, very structured curriculum. And then guess what? We give you coaching before and after as a part of the package. I love it. It's awesome. Frontrunner.group. Check it out. We've got an, uh, uh, by the time this comes out, we've got, we've got one in August, September, October, November. They're not all full yet. So rush, rush. It'd be an awesome purposeful thing to do to get your year just on point. Anyway, all right, let's talk about Jonathan, the guest, real quick. Jonathan Dio has been a California-based financial advisor for like 25 years, managed investments at a variety of Wall Street companies before founding his own financial planning firm. He's a contributor on contributor on personal finance matters for Huffington Post, Business Insider, among others. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, 25-year meditation practitioner. And he lives in Berkeley, California with his wife and two children. We're going to talk about some awesome stuff today. I'm super excited. The conversation doesn't go like you think. We're talking about money. His book is called Mindful Money. And when I read his one sheet, I was like, oh, this is cool. All right. I think I can do this. But you know what? We didn't really talk about that. We talked about what money does to you. We talked about money when people don't use it as a tool, when they use it as like their life. And one of the cool things he said was... Um, I'm looking for it here. Don't equate financial success to life success. It's kind of a given, but the way he says it in the episode is awesome. So look, no more talking. Here we go. You ready for Jonathan Dio? Here it is. Thanks for listening. All right, Jonathan, let's get rolling, man. So welcome to the podcast. I'm I'm well, man. Welcome to the podcast first and foremost. And uh, thanks for being here. I'm excited. Excited for the conversation. Yeah, definitely. So, Let's just kick this thing off, man. Let's let's talk about your past. Like, would you consider yourself an expert on money? I don't know that there's anyone that considers themselves that that can, that can yeah. rationally consider themselves an expert on money. I've spent sure. a lot of time on money personally and on money with a lot of other people. So if I might fit among the category of people who've thought about it more than most others, got it. All right, that's a cool answer. Thought about it more than most others. All right. So get into your background, your story, like the the um, the stuff from the past that has happened, that kind of changed your trajectory to the guy you are today and that path. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I I love that stuff. I'm so curious about that with people. So it's, I mean, it's it's it, it, this we have. I know we scheduled this a long time ago, but we happen to be doing this uh, right after I just took a trip back home, and so for the last year. Uh, I've been going deep. I've been trying to figure out, you know, what makes me tick. What what are some of the things that are important to me? Why are they important to me? And so I had three questions when I went home. And one of my questions was, you know, to my mom and my dad, why do I have this bizarre relationship that I have with money? And mm-hmm. we we sort of pulled back the onion. And when we grew up, when I was growing up, we didn't have any money. Like all of my friends, and I knew this part. Like I, all of my friends had um, great vacations. Their parents drove really nice cars. Um, you know, uh, I went camping and my parents drove cars where the doors were held close, closed by rope. Like it was, we had, 
We had okay. nothing. Um, uh, and I think that's a fair thing to say. And I, I actually, I actually asked my parents, Hey, do you guys have an old copy of your social security statement? So I can actually quantify the nothing that we have. <laughs> we couldn't, we couldn't dig that out, but, um, I, I was, <laughs> I was very curious. So I grew up without anything and somewhere, you know, late, late, uh, uh, middle school, early high school, I decided that that was not going to be in my future. And uh, I started learning about money, studying money, thinking about business, thinking about investing. Um, and so the, the upshot of that is for the last 40 years, I've invested in public markets. I've been, I've been an investor in real estate for 20 years. I've been invested in private businesses for 15 years, and I've actually done it professionally for about 25 years. Um, and now I, you know, my, my next sort of thing is I want to educate people. And that started in, that started probably with the book. And I started writing the book in 2007. Uh, the book is Mindful Money, uh, and it's really about how do you put this finance thing into the context of life? Um, and you know, we 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 put such a huge importance on money yeah. that it takes us away from financial success. And I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that one more time. We put yeah. such an emphasis on money that actually takes away financial success. And I think that's something that we have to start recognizing. I like that, man. And that's well said too. It's, it's simple and it's also really deep. Like, you know, in, in any business, for, forget about just real estate. Like I, I've been in real estate sales and I'm in coaching now and, and, um, and I've been in coaching for a very long time and just chose to go full time, like really hone that coaching business because real estate wasn't serving me anymore. And coaching was just making me happy and joyous every single day. And I was actually making the impact I wanted to. You asked me before, like, why do, do I worry about money? And I said, no, but I used to. So I want to get to that. Don't let me forget that. I want to get to that. But the, the, way, that you, the way that you say that, um, will you say that one more time, what you said about money? Uh, I, th I think that the, 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 uh, the way we financialized everything actually yeah. takes us away from financial success. Yeah. And what's at play there? more than just the financial it's ego it's social it's material it's you know one up yeah. in your neighbor it's there's so many different psychological aspects there that really has nothing to do with money money's just always been the tool it all will always be the tool it'll never be the thing it'll always be right. the tool to get you something make you feel something but isn't that hollow anyway like people are just chasing that they chase it for their lives until they're dead and frankly even when they're dead they're still spending a ton of money on the casket to make themselves look good at the funeral or the family's making right. them look good at the funeral. So like this stuff never ends, man. That never ends. Yeah. But let's get, let's get deep into that. Let's get deep into that. So I, I think, I think that there's something that you pointed to there that was, uh, that's really important in the conversation. And that mm -hmm. is the one upping. Yeah. Um, I think money creates an easily measurable hierarchy. <clears throat> and we're all about power. We're all about influence. We're all about, um, hierarchy, you know, who, who has more than whom and who's doing better than whom. Uh, and more so in the last probably 10 years than ever in history, because we have this relatively new thing called social media where, you know, now we all are taking, it started off with us taking pictures of our lunches and dinners and sort of bragging about the great food we're eating, but then it became cars and airplanes and it became vacations and it's, yeah, yeah. um, and I, and I, you know, I'm not, innocent of this. I post things about my son's new album. He puts out an album. I post a thing about he's 16. He recorded a whole album. That's incredible. You know, everyone should see this, you know, and it's, we're all posing. We're all 
competing for eyes and attention. And now it's, now it's literal. We are literally complete competing for likes. And that's, yeah. you know, our brains are sort of hardwired to do that anyways, and to actually be given the, the tool to actually measure the number. It's, it's <laughs> kind of, it's kind of self self-defeating, right? It's self-propelling and self-defeating. How smart of that on, on social media, Facebook's part to quantify the emotional response to things that you do. Like, Bravo, bravo. Yeah, right. But you know, I, I, I almost feel like, look, I, people have heard me say it on here. I, I think that a lot of the stuff that we're taught in the traditional education world is, is kind of worthless for your future, for stuff like that. And the stuff that we should be taught, stuff that you're an expert on or not a, close to an expert on, you spend a lot of time on it. Um, money, finance is not taught as much as it should be. I know there are certain schools True. that do teach it really de in depth. Um, like my daughter's school in LA, they're going to teach her finance in kindergarten. Like they're teaching them entrepreneurial skills in kindergarten and they're just, yeah. all they're doing is selling eggs that the chickens lay. Cause there's chickens at the school. It's like one of the outdoor schools and they're selling coffee to the parents in the morning and the parents are like mandatory. They have to buy the coffee, but then they teach them <laughs> how to do like a PNL. They teach them their cost of goods sold. How cool is that for a four, a six year old to learn? Yeah. You know, that's awesome. It's yep. so cool. That's awesome. Yep. But very cool. Think about in school, like my daughter's five, my son is one, my daughter's five and a half. We will remove certain aspects from the curriculum. Of, my daughter will never go to public school, but like from a public school curriculum. And we'll be putting in psychological classes, maybe in college, um, all about social media and the effects that it's had over the last 20 years. Which is huge for people in influencer world and things like that. But the ego hits and the dopamine hits and the, you know, that's nuts. That's nuts. And that kind of leads me to the next question. But I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, I don't, I think we're just beginning to understand. I mean, it's, it's only been, I mean, behavioral psychology has only been 25 years. Like, it, we yeah. haven't actually gone deep into this stuff academically, you know, entirely. Yeah, we're still learning. There's still lots of things we're learning. And what one of the things, you know, in terms of economics and business and finance you know, think back to um, when we used to believe that mankind, men and women, were rational deciders. We we used to think that what we do is we 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 have a problem to solve or we have something we have to decide upon. We go out into the world and we get all the data we could possibly get on it. We analyze that data objectively, uh, and then we make a decision with our full knowledge of you know the outcomes that are possible and how we're being affected and the things we might like. Turns out none of that's true. Turns out yeah. we there are so many biases and so many things that are at, at work behind the scenes and the lessons that our grandparents taught us before we were before we had any knowledge that we were learning lessons at all are deeply embedded and they they have way more to say about the things that we believe than the things that we have thought about since high school, the things that we thought about since our brains were fully developed. Like the stories that we got as kids drive everything about our decision matrices and our decision process. And so we got to understand that and the academics have to understand it first. Then they got to, you know, make the social commentators understand it. And then they're going to tell it to everybody else. And it just, it just takes a long time for this, this knowledge to be shared broadly, but it's real. Yeah. I mean, we don't make the decisions the way we think we make decisions. Yeah. It's not kind of crazy. It's almost like a, like a puppet string, yeah. you know, or like a puppet master being pulling the strings, except you feel in control. Right. That's, that's right. a little exactly. scary. You don't see that's the strings. Little, 
Yeah. It's a little scary. You, you don't see the strings. You feel in control. But Madison Avenue does a very good job of telling you what you need. They tell you what you right. need, why you need it. They, they, they put you against your neighbor and you don't even know it. They, um, you know, let's talk about identity for a second in that because, you know, I was talking to someone the other day when I was in, in high school. Mom, if you're listening, shut your ears. I used to do a lot of street racing, <laughs> a lot of street racing. My, my dad was like, just be smart about being stupid, man. Like, you can get hurt doing that stuff. You know, my dad was not supportive, but he wasn't like against it. I, I needed someone to talk to. Anyway, the point is, um, there was a guy who was racing. I'm not going to say his name just in case he listens to this, but he had a really cool car, like a really cool car, souped up, 1,000 horsepower, like nuts. Probably spent 200 grand on this car, and paint job, and wheels, and stereo, and engine. And he was that guy. Every Friday night, every Saturday night, we'd be down the city and, you know, hundreds of people. And everybody's like, yeah, where's this guy? Where's that guy? Then you hear, and the boom of the bass, you're like, oh, he's coming now. Okay, he's here. Every weekend, this is the guy with that car. That's that guy. That's the guy that owns that car. Then all of a sudden, he's doing 140 miles an hour racing down the highway, not with us, but just by himself with another car. He totals this thing, wrecks it. He's in the hospital. Like six weeks later, he gets out. He comes back to the Saturday night races, and he's lost that car and his identity around who he is. And by the way, he also lost the two hundred plus thousand dollars he put into it because he didn't have it insured. Yeah, Ooh. That's big, big, big. That was my first time. Um, oh, and by the way, every time he was, yo, I'm that guy with that. I, I own the blue car over there. I own the blue car. And everybody like, oh, sick, you own the blue car? Oh, my God, man, that's amazing. Well, I remember this very distinctly. When he got back, it was for a couple weeks, he was like telling the story of the crash. He was that guy. Then he had to find a new identity because he didn't have any money. He really didn't even have a job. Um, right. Everything he had went into that car. And because he didn't have any money, he couldn't buy a new car. So he took the bus to the races or, or hitched a ride with other people. But now he was the guy that used to have the car. And I remember right. you didn't have you didn't have a cell phone back then. Like I was sixteen, it was nineteen ninety eight. Like he, we didn't have cell phones like that, you know, that had beautiful bright pictures on them. So he brought his album to show people I was the guy who had that car. And it sounds funny and it's a cool story, but it's sad as hell too because that yep. is pretty much a cross section of our society. In that, if we don't have it. We might know somebody that has it, and we tell the people we are sitting with that we either have it or we know someone that has it. Or you're not it's – not, um, it's not me. It's like I'm living through my kid or I'm living through my, my parents or I'm living yep. through my grandparents or I'm living through my aunt and uncle. Or there, There's so many facades, but that goes back into the puppet string. Like you don't even know that you're doing it, but you want to be so relevant in the conversation that you have to figure out a way to make money – to be able to get the things you want, whether it's freedom or vacations or toys or cars or houses or that lawn that looks amazing or the, the, the oh my God, the Christmas lights. I got this crazy idea this year because I walked around last year and no offense to any of my neighbors if they're listening. They probably, they, nobody knows me in this neighborhood. But I'm like, man, these Christmas displays are weak. I want to I I do like National Lampoon's type thing next year. <laughs> My wife's like, well, you're not going to do it, so go find a place that will do it. So I had this company come out, and they're like $30,000. I'm like, yeah, seriously, no joke, thirty grand for what I wanted to do? Like thirty grand. Plus, plus, that's, that's to put them up and take them down, and that's to buy all the stuff too because they don't, they don't supply it. You know, you're talking ten grand worth of stuff. 
and CPUs to run the light displays. Anyway, um, I actually got into that mode for a second of like, I want to be the guy in the neighborhood that has that display. Like, hey, that's me. That's my house. Look at me. Like, I almost got caught up in that for a second. And, and my wife's like, what, are you out of your mind? Go get a string of lights <laughs> around the tree and get, out, get over it. We're not even here for Christmas. We're going to be in L.A. Um, not last year, but in years past. So long story short, like, I want to dig into this. Um, yeah. The question that's on your one sheet that I really loved when I first read it was, like, why is money such an enormous source of stress and anxiety? Like, I want to really dig into that because people are listening, and we're not going to teach you how to make money. Maybe at the end we will, but – we want to teach you how to be smarter and more purposeful with money so that it can be a tool, not a drain or a source of anxiety. So let's get into that. So that, I think there's, I think there's two questions there that are on the table. One is the, mm -hmm. is the, uh, the question of identity. And then yep. the second question is why is it, why is it such a significant source of stress? So, um, I think the second one's easier to touch first. Let's, let me just hit that one. So, the, the reason I think, and you, you already mentioned this, the reason I think it's such a big source of stress is that we don't teach anything about it. And it's awesome that your daughter is going through that in a kindergarten. Hopefully they keep doing that, you know, year after year yeah. after year, another lesson, a new lesson, new lesson, keep modeling it, keep talking about it. You know, my generation, you know, I'm almost 50. Um, uh, my kids' generation, they're 16, 13, the, the, the Gen Z uh, generation, the ones in between, I'm Gen X, you know, millennials we're all basically flying by the seat of our pants here. Um, mm -hmm. There isn't any formal education. Uh, we might read some blogs. You know, if we start working for a company that has a big HR department, we might go to that one hour session yeah. uh, and they'll, yeah. they'll talk about, they'll talk about the 401k and they'll talk about some insurance and tell you to sign up for this and sign up for that. But there's no practical education about money. And then you put that lack of education, in the context of a cultural that has financialized and monetized and transactionalized everything, including what success is. And this is, this is basically the entire middle section of my book is trying to remember what true wealth is and, and, you know, things like health, uh, learning relationships, you know, finding ways to improve the world, being accountable to yourself, knowing what you want, being generous, grateful, you know, positive about it. These are the things that, Academics, uh, science, uh, Buddhists—you know, monks—for years have studied, and thousands of years have said these are the things that that actually add value long term. Um, one of the important implications of the planning process is you actually think about what matters to you. You know, you define how you want to spend your time, what sort of things you want to do, what sort of stuff you need in your life to be happy, um, and once. Once you have that plan, you're basically building a life on a foundation of knowledge about well-being, about your personal well-being. And your your personal well-being, your identity, your the thing that makes you happy and, and, and makes you look back and talk about personal finance being way more personal than it is about finance, way more about who am I, where do I want to go, what do I want to do, who do I want to be, than it is about money. But somehow money has become the core, has become the center. Uh, that's that's why there's yeah. so much stress. Is the thing that actually is should be tangential, should be something that's supportive, has become the thing we talk about all the time. Yeah, that's crazy, man. You know what I was thinking about when you were saying that was how many people do you actually think are living a life that's authentically theirs? I, it's a, it's a great question. I I think that I've well, there's there's two parts to that. One. Yeah. 
we don't do the work. We don't, we don't actually go internal and think about uh, what makes us tick unless we were raised with some kind of a religious or quasi spiritual background where that, that made that suggestion. I know that, you know, <laughs> my dad would quote uh, Shakespeare to me and he would quote uh, Westerns to me and he would quote, you know, these things that were, you know, how is meaning created? He he would quote these kinds of things to me growing up. And I think that's one of the big things that was unique. We didn't have any money, but we had values and I learned values. So that, the first thing is we don't ask the question. The, the, the second thing is, and this is really important, it, it changes, right? It, the, the stuff that is important to us at 15 is different than the stuff that's important to us at 25 is different than the stuff that's important to us at 40 and 50. And when you, when you mix finance into that, if you use all of your resources when you're 25 for the things that are important to you at 25, you're not, you know, reserve, you're not building the reserve for the stuff that might be important to you when you change. Sure. And so knowing yourself today and kind of having an understanding about how lives develop, you know, life timelines, you know, uh, this is, it's not just knowing yourself today. It's you got to know yourself over a lifetime to figure out how should you use the resources you have. And I'm not talking financial resources. I'm talking relational resources, energy resources, time resources, and yeah. financial resources. How do you do all of these things considering not just today, but what you're going to want going forward? So how come you didn't fall into that trap? I, I want to get your opinion on this. How come you didn't stay down? Let's just say down because people think that with a lot of money, you're up, right? Let's just say that red, black. Um, why, why did you not stay in that lifestyle that you were taught? It was a happy home, right? You were a happy home. Your dad's quoting you Shakespeare and talking to you about meaning. So there's some depth there. You're, you're learning some, some cool stuff. What changed? Why wasn't it okay for you to just stay like that? And, and, and subsequently, or juxtaposed, why are there so many people out there that cannot get out of their own way and they continue to perpetuate the generational financial woes like on and on and on and on and on. So, I mean, I think there's, you know, uh, there's, there's something that's really, I'm, I'm just gonna, there's something that's really difficult. I'm, I'm going to state it here and we may have to, we have to go into it a little bit. Do it. So the, the, I have, I have now, so I didn't have when I was young. I have now, I have only had for probably five years, but now I have more than I know what to do with. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's interesting about that transition, and this is what I'm, this is, you know, I've talked to my therapist. This is the, this is the conversation that I have. Um, how come I know that I didn't have, I know how bad that was and how bad just financially. I mean, everything was, I ate sure. enough. I had a house. Sure. My parents loved me, right? Today I have, and yet I am always afraid of returning to not having. That is a, I cannot shake that. And I spent hours and, you know, I, I meditated on it. I've thought about it. I've, I've, I've uh, written about it. I've journaled about it. I've talked to my wife about it. I've had deep conversations with my parents about it. I just spent three days with them talking about it. And it's like, there, there are some lessons that we learn as kids that are, that they become the anchors. They become the stuff that's there and you cannot shake it. And I don't, you know, maybe I'm just not as skilled as it as uh, at shaking things as some people are. I don't, I don't know that anyone actually unlearns the lessons they learn as a child because they're just there. Um, yep. So 
what you have to do. And this is, I think what I did with fantastic support systems. Like my parents never told me that I wouldn't become, they always said, Jonathan, you can be, you can be whatever you want. And my dad would say the, you know, the reason we, I grew up in Rapid City, South Dakota was because it was a great place to raise a family. Um, he was an engineer. There weren't that many engineering jobs in Rapid City, South Dakota. And so he didn't have a job from when I was two to when I was 15. Oh, wow. Um, he did odd things. He, wow. he did odd things to, to have an income stream. And so, um, and he feels really guilty about that, thinks we should have had a lot more. Um, but he, he told me I was capable. They told me they believed in my ability to become the person I would become. Yeah. And they provided a loving atmosphere and gave me value lessons. Why did you believe now, that though? Why did you believe them? There's no, there was no reason for me to not believe them. Yeah. Like, and you know, it's, it's South Dakota. So they said, you know, it's on you, like, yeah. right. You, you got to put in the work. And so I studied hard and I, I went to college and studied hard in college and, you know, worked, worked a full-time job all the way through college to pay for college. Um, so there, it was like, you can do it. You set out your path, decide what you want, go after the thing you want and you can do it not saying it's going to be easy, but you can do it. Um, and I'm, I'm actually, I, I agree with what they said. I agree with the lessons and I'm looking at my kids. My kids are growing up with, you know, t tremendous advantages, huge advantages, yeah. you know, great vacations, great schools, things that I didn't, I didn't have. And I think that because of the advantages that they have, they are also receiving a disadvantage they're not having to struggle to become the way I did. And so my biggest fear, my biggest fear is the thing that enabled me to pursue and become successful. I am not giving them. So, and this is a way also kind of a sideways way of, of saying, I forgive my parents. They don't, they didn't ask for forgiveness. I'm not actually forgiving them. I'm just telling them, Hey, it's okay. You gave me something that was way more important than money. You gave me something that's way more important than, than the new bike or the new, you know, you know, Coleco, whatever the, uh, you know, video game console was at the time, Atari, you yeah. gave me something way more important. And that was a belief in myself, a belief that I could become and a lesson that all, all I really had to do was, was commit to working hard. And, you know, and there's all kinds of advantages and, and we can, we can get into those. I, you know, my parents, my parents love me. They, they're still together today. They've been together for 50 years, you know, so that's a huge advantage. Um, I am tall and white and male, and there's all kinds of advantages in that. And, and so, but I also had to work hard and also had to do a lot to make it, to make it happen. Sure. It's really interesting when you say that. I think about that same thing with my kids and my parents provided so much for me. I watched my parents build businesses. I watched my dad start from scratch, from nothing, build this very successful business. But I watched a mindset of, of uh, abundance that my dad had and a mindset of scarcity that my mom had. And not her mindset, it was her dad's mindset. Her dad was cheap as hell and, and had a lot of money. And I mean, the guy, the guy would squeeze a penny in half if he could, like he really could. And, and um, I remember he told me a story he found a car in the newspaper, a car ad for a Camry. And he went in and he said, I want this Camry. And they said, well, we don't have that Camry. We only have these. And he said, but this says that they are in stock now. And I want this. It's $209 a month, the payment, right? $209 a month, or what, like $109, something really stupid. And they said, well, sir, I mean, that's the, 
that has roll down windows, and this is like nine, 90, I don't know, maybe early 2000s, right? Um, and and he's no eight track, but almost no, no eight track. This is this is tapes, and it probably had it probably no, it didn't have a CD player. I'm sure it didn't. I wrote in it. And here's this, here's this like mid seventies, like late seventies guy. He he sits at the dealership for six hours, by the way, because they said we don't have it. But these are the cameras we do have. If you're looking for a car, and and he said, but I I want that car at that deal. You give me one of those cars at that deal, I'm good. But I if unless I want that deal that you promised me in the paper, or that's bait and switch, and I'll sue you. And like that's what he did. He sat there for six hours fighting with these guys. Finally, they DX'd one from like New Jersey or Delaware. I remember it was a silver Camry, five speed. Right? This is a 78 year old guy. I'm sitting in the passenger seat with him. This is in, oh, this is in Florida. This is in Florida. He took it to Florida with him. We're in Florida. And I'm like, Pop, isn't that a pain in the ass driving a, I was like, I don't know, 14 or something, 16? Like, isn't that a pain in the butt driving a stick shift? And he goes, Yeah, but it's about the principal. And I'm like, well, who's, who's principal? What are you talking about? Right? So I know where my mom got her scarcity from. And he drove that car for years just because he was sticking it to those guys for trying to bait and switch him. And I'm like, I, I didn't get it then and I don't get it now. But I get more of it now because of my, you know, my expertise in coaching. But, you know, I have a dad that takes huge risks and always told me, like, mm-hmm. always bet on you. Always push your chips in on you. No matter what, you could fail, you can mess up so bad. But bet the chips again. You're always going to get more chips. Always get more yep. chips. You'll always yep. be rewarded more chips. You'll never be out because if you if you're out like you, you live on the street, like that's not you. You'll always find more chips. Always bet them on you. And so, I had a lot of advantages as a kid or as a, like a teen, like mid teens. I would say my dad's business really took off, like like around 2000, and. I was so disconnected from reality, the reality of money. I loved the lifestyle that it provided, but I also didn't realize that I wasn't living a good lifestyle before when my parents were rolling pennies for gas. You know what I mean? Like I didn't realize that. There was still love and affection and 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 you know, we had a cable TV in 1988 or something, you know, like but I I learned what I know now and I'm who I am now. Because when I left my dad's business in 2012, there was major struggle. The business was almost out. I had made a lot of money, seven figures, well into the seven figures in my 20s. Then I lost it all by end of my 20s. And now I'm struggling. And I can't go to mom and dad and their bank, you know, the bank of mom and dad, because they're struggling too. And they're trying to save their house. And I'm trying to save my house. And that struggle created the guy that I am today. Forced me into the work, like you say, the internal work, the traumas and the conditioning and the past programming from mom and dad in school. I worry about my kids. Like, how do I teach them struggle without, you know, like, I want them to be like, Dad, can I get this? And I'll teach them a lesson of how to get it. Like, my daughter says, I want a new iPad. She has, like, an old iPad she found in a closet. It's like, I don't know, probably an original iPad. I don't know how it works. And she goes, I want a new one. And I said, cool, well, do you want to learn how to get one? She's like, yeah. And I said, cool, well, I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour. So let's calculate how many hours you need. And this is what you'll do. And she said, well, I don't want to do that. And I said, cool, then you don't get an iPad. Like, it's just that simple. <laughs> when you're ready to do the work, I will help you achieve your goal, but I will not buy you an iPad. You're five. You know, like, you're five. 
right. struggle a little <laughs> struggle a little bit helping me like you know move a box in the shed or help your brother in the morning or something like that like something that's that's work related but not like hustle hardcore like back breaking related of course how the hell do you show it's, your kids struggle when they don't struggle? It's a, uh, it, it's a really interesting question. I mean, it, it, what we're what we're talking about is we're talking about two identities competing because I struggled. My new identity is I want to provide for my kids so they don't have to struggle. Totally. But for them to develop their identity, <laughs> they have to struggle. And I that's know. a you know, what do you do with that? That's a, it's a very interesting conundrum. And I think, I think you have, like you said, I think you have to do like strategic, you have to create strategic struggle. You have to, um, so, so, you know, when my, when my son was eight, we, we put his, he did his laundry. Um, uh, and he's, they've always had chores. They've always had work. We haven't paid them. We haven't given them an allowance for their work. Yeah. It's just, you're part of the family. You so get you to do. eat food. You get to, right. So if you want to make more, then, you know, tell us and we'll, you know, find a way to do that. And to the, to the point where my son, he was saying last night, he's 16. He, um, he's actually had a job for a year and a half. Like we went through the process of getting permission from the school so he could get a job and he got hired by a local deli. And he's now like, like a a captain at this deli. Like he, he is training 24 year old kids how to do the job at this deli. He's 16 because he works. My daughter opens and closes a local pool, you know, and so they've, and she's 13. Like we, I, I said, you work, you want stuff, you work and right. I'll have odd jobs around the house or I know people in the community. We can, I'll, I'll set you up for it with an interview. You, you go and see if you can get a job someplace. And, you know, I think that's one of the things I did is I worked when I was 12. I had a, I had a full-time gig in the summer when I was 12 years old. I work evenings when I was 12. And I think that's a huge lesson it's not clubs and camps it's work you know have a boss yell at you for a bit that's important true i it makes sense man like i like that strategic struggle i like that i might make that i'm gonna make that a clip i wrote the time create strategic struggle creating strategic struggle creating (laughs) um you know what i think about is i think maybe one of my fears is i want them to know hard work like i remember at 16 years old I went to work at a Valvoline instant oil change because I wanted to know what it was like. And I worked at a detail shop and I helped my buddy, uh, Chris and his dad, they had a landscaping company. I worked for them like part time. So I'd go to work for them till like noon from like 6am till noon. Then I'd go to Valvoline instant oil change on like Tuesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. And I'd work at the detail shop. I almost craved struggle before I had struggle. You know, like I wasn't given everything, but my dad kind of lived a little vicariously through me because he was very poor growing up and he had built this amazing business. And I, I think he lived vicariously through me, which I think was a great lesson and a little dangerous at the same time because there was some pieces missing. And I want to ask you about that in a second, but I loved working at those places. I didn't make shit for money. I mean, I didn't make any, I think I made like $1,800 all summer. I had three jobs. But I learned a lot about my work ethic, yeah. and I think that's really and, important. And you recognized you could do it. I yeah. mean, the lesson there is you can do it. You don't right. need people to give you stuff. You can do it. That's sure. the huge lesson. It's huge. That was big. And I also realized that I do not ever want to work this type of work again. And I tell you, the thing that scared me was like, what if I can't make it in like the like the 
corporate. Like I never have, I never had a job. I never imagined having a job or anything or writing a resume. My dad always taught me. He's like, quitters write resumes, son. You don't write a resume. You are an entrepreneur by blood. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I never took anything of it. I still don't have any offense to it. I've just never written a resume and that's okay. Um, that's my dad's opinion, by the way. Don't write me any angry mail. Like that's my dad's opinion. And it's my opinion. Like I didn't want to write a resume because I didn't want a plan B. That's what worked for me. Didn't work for you? Fine. But I believe that if you've got a plan B, you're going to – at least 1% of your brain is going to be like, well, I do have a little bit of a net underneath here. I mean I might have to reach for it, but I got a net. I won't die. But I tell you what scared me was can I really make it out there? Like can I really do this? And if I can't, am I going to end up changing oil the rest of my life? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it wasn't for me. And that's what, that's what drove me. And that's where – and I want to talk to you about parenting. I want to go a little deeper into that. But that's where, like, that's where parenting really comes in because I would come home covered in grease. My nails were black, man. My, the, the, mm-hmm. All the, all the uh, pores in my skin and like, my fingerprints, everything was just stained black because I was the guy that wouldn't wear gloves. And you know, I'm, I'm smoking Marlboro Lights with the, the guys who were on work release at the Valvoline. And they're, cutting, they're teaching me how to cut the filters off because they, 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 they were like, give me one of those white boy cigarettes. And they would cut the filters off and... I like those guys. Those guys taught me so much about life. But will my kids ever work at a Valvoline Instant Oil Change to learn about different people and economic status? Like, I don't think so. Because in my mind, I'm going to be like, why the hell would you want to do that? You know, like, why would you want that struggle? Why don't you go struggle at like a, a homeless shelter? Or why don't you go like, that's the part that's, my daughter's five and a half. I mean, it's going to come soon. They're going to be your kid's age soon. That's what I think about. How do I how yeah. do I insert strategic or create strategic struggle where it doesn't break them and it also doesn't lock them in because they don't feel like they can um, they can measure up to me, you know? Or like like uh, um, I I had that same fear. Do you have that fear with your kids? Like I I felt like after I got out of college, I joined my dad in business because I love my dad and I wanted to be in business with him. But partly inside, I was convinced that I could never do what he did. I could never run a business. I could never run a business like that. I could never achieve that level of income. I could never achieve the lifestyle he provided. So I kind of, hmm. I kind of just sat into that. Let him create the foundation. I, I wonder. I wonder. It's uh, so. I I think that you go back to that identity and you go, what's important to you? So this is. When I look at my kids, I don't want them to have the income I have necessarily. I don't want them to you know, follow my footsteps in business. Would I be open to it if they said that that's what they wanted? Sure. But my, you know, my daughter has been talking about being, when she was younger, she talked about being a, um, uh, a veterinarian. Now it's, she wants to be a pediatrician. So she's always been about health and, and fitness. And that's what she's been about, health of animals, health of uh, small kids. My son has always played music, and so he's definitely choosing a, a hard path. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I'm fully supportive of that path. And we've always said he's. By the way, he's 16. He, he his first album came out, 12 songs, original songs. Damn. He recorded during quarantine. Wow. He uh, he did all the layers. He bu- he built in all the drums. He learned all the technology, all the software. It's up on Spotify. He learned how to do that. So so. He did the work. Now that's a that's a tough that's, that's a tough, tough industry to make it in. 
um, you know, to be successful. I know lots of musicians that don't make any money that are just, you know, they play, they busk, they play here and there. Um, and then they have other jobs, uh, that, that actually, you know, pay for their lifestyle. He wants to be, you know, a pop star, which more power to him if he can do it. You know, I'm supportive of the idea. Uh, I'm just, I'm always saying, okay, well, let's make sure we keep our grades up and we keep, you know, keep the other education stuff going. Sure. Um, but the, you said something earlier that was, that's really interesting. You know, how do you keep your kids from doing that? I think you said your dad had a sense of like possibility and your mom was yeah. all kind of, you know, I'm worried about things not being enough and being right. So my kids actually have that as well. That exact same scenario. Yeah. Um, I came from nothing. I built something because I believe my wife came from more and she still has more. And she's all, she's worried about, I'm worried about leaving it, losing it because I might, you know, that's the, we take risks and things fall sure, apart. Sure. Um, but she's like, we can't spend any money. We yeah. can't spend money. We can't spend money. Um, and so my kids are getting both of those as well. So hopefully your partner offsets that a little bit, you know, it's yeah. not just all risk all the time, but you, you give them both lessons, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the idea of you want them to be them, you want them to have the ability to have the freedom that comes from financial success, but you don't want them to focus on financial success as life success. Uh, and, and it's a, it's a fine line. I think that was really, I, I, I love the way you put that financial success is not life success. That's a, it's a really great, I got to write that down before I forget. <laughs> um, I, how detrimental is it? Um, how detrimental is it to have those two juxtaposed views in your opinion? Like, do you, so what we're really talking about is, is marriage and communication and money wrapped in. But again, money's an, money's an outlier. Money's not the thing, you know, like my wife and I are very close. We're very communicative. There's no secrets in this house. Like we, she knows she runs our money. I don't run our money. She runs our money. Um, cause I started doing my P and L's and my accountant after like a year and a half was like, Hey, uh, do you have, um, literally anyone else that can do this? I said, uh, like, like you want me to get a bookkeeper? And they're like, no, like, can your wife do this? And she stepped in and does a great job with running our money in the back. But my kids will never have that, um, that mentality. And I wonder how much trauma, like I, I won't mention who, but there's some people that are close to me that have, um, a couple kids and every freaking time I turn around, they're always saying, no, we're not doing that. That's too much. No, we're not doing this. That's too much. No, we're not sending them there. That's too much. No, we're only paying for this school, this college, this thing. We're not buying you that. It's too much. We got to buy you braces or we got to pay for your college. We're not doing that. And I think about how detrimental that is to a kid when the other parents like, whatever, it's fine. I mean, that's detrimental. I know it was for me, super traumatic for me. Can it be in your mind because you have that situation? I, I'm very fortunate I don't because I made sure I, I created a um, partnership and communication that I, that I didn't see when I was a kid. I didn't want that tension all the time. Do you think you can turn that around with your wife? Do you think there's a way? Um, well, I don't. So here, here there's a, I, I don't think I need to. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that the, the basic is, I think it's really good to have both sets of lessons. Sure. Uh, I think, so I used to be, and this is, uh, I'm the financial guy in my household. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'll manage the money. Like I'll decide what we invest in. I'll right. 
Uh, and that, that goes so far. And then I made some really stupid investments that Me I too. did talk to my wife about. And, and she was like, you know what? I think those are stupid investments. And I went ahead and did them anyways. I uh, lost a bunch of money twice. Uh, and then she said, you know, I said, you know what I'm going to do from now on is I'm actually going to listen. I'm, I'm going to, if, if you say this is dumb, we'll do something else. You know, there's plenty of opportunity elsewhere. There's plenty of opportunity in just the basics sure. of what I do, portfolio and real estate. And there's, there's some plenty, you don't have to get, you don't have to get crazy um, to be successful financially. And so I stopped getting crazy. I stopped getting, you know, drawn into this. The, yeah. Uh, well, today, today, a good example would be crypto. Like uh, it's could be great, could be not be great. No, I had no idea how to, how to model that or not. Sure. So going to stay out of it because yeah. it's not something that, uh, that I can, I can prove out. So I, I don't want to dismiss the wisdom that being careful, being conscientious, being thoughtful, um, brings to the table. And I think that together we make, we make really good decisions. Sure. Sure. And that means she has to come towards me a little bit. I got to go towards her a little bit. The kids actually get to see us argue stuff out and, and, you know, and sometimes when it comes to spending, I'll just, I'll defer. I'm like, you know what? That's okay. We don't have to, we still take a vacation. We drive nice cars. We live in a great house, you know, so we still do lots of stuff. Um, but that's enough. You know, I'll defer and say, you know what? You're right. We don't need that. We don't need to spend $60 on a t-shirt for a 16 year old that I'll grow it in. <laughs> right. right. We don't need right. to do that. Like, so I defer often yeah. in that space. I wonder about the trauma and the lessons in the trauma that's not cleared in the reaction, not, not your wife, but I'm talking like anybody, my mom's trauma, your wife's yeah. trauma, my trauma, your trauma, whatever. Um, I, I, I'm, I wonder about that in the development of the kids. And I also wonder like, is it detrimental that, and I know you might not have the answer, but I'm just speaking out loud. I wonder if it's detrimental <laughs> that my wife and I are so in sync, but here's the trick. Here's the, the, the part that I think is very beneficial. And you mentioned this. We stress test our relationship on a daily basis. On a daily mm. basis, we're stress testing the relationship because we want, I'll tell you right now, if we hadn't stress tested the relationship, stress tested the relationship constantly for years, meaning we say the things we need to say, we talk about the things that are un uncomfortable, um, whether it's money or sex or you know, children's health or any of those things that are uncomfortable, like vaccines or circumcisions, most people are like, mm, whatever, I don't, I don't know. We talk about that stuff. So when in 2019, I had a partner steal more than half a million bucks. And that was my like, oh, shit, I cannot believe I made this investment. I cannot believe I did this. And I had other people's money involved. I was able to come home. If my, if my wife had been like my mom, I would have probably hit the road. I probably would have run for a while, like a week, and then just blew her phone. Like, hey, hey something happened. I, I got to help a friend. And it blown her phone calls off because I didn't want to face that, like, you know, eagle mm -hmm. with talons coming down on me. I called my dad. And I was like, Dad, what the hell do I do? And I was crying. I was so upset. I, I felt like such a failure. I felt like such a failure. Like, I'm such a sucker, and I let my family down. How the hell am I going to get out of this? And, and my wife was so kind, and she was like, look, I trust you. If you think that's a good investment, let's make it. And I'm like... I do, but in the back of my mind and only to my dad, I said, you know, my dad, I trust this guy like 95%. My dad goes, it's 100 or nothing. It's 100 or nothing, right. buddy. And I still went through with it. But I came home and I was like, my wife could see that. I, look, I smelled like smoke. I was smoking cigarettes. And, you know, I didn't have any alcohol or anything, but she could tell like, I'm stressed. And she could see my eyes were all puffy. And I'm like, 
Uh, so our partner emptied the bank account. And she's like, right. how much? And I'm like, like half a million dollars. And she was like, okay, you have a plan? And I was like, I have a plan. And she's like, then I trust you. And that was it. That's as far as it went. And dude, I'm telling you right now, still makes me a little emotional that she had that level of trust in me because I was fucking melting. I mean, I was melting down inside. I, I, if she would have bombarded me, if she would have done anything but that, I think I would have melted into the ground. I think I would have been in the hospital. Yep. Like my anxiety was so spiked. But I watched how my parents did it. And I've been through some, you know, my wife and I have been running a business for nine years, several different businesses. We've been through that stuff. But we stress test that relationship because that's a train that hits a bike bridge. It is decimating that bike bridge. Irreparable. There's a smoke. There's fire. Everybody's dead. That's when divorce <laughs> happens, right? Seriously. That's when divorce that's happens. Right. That's when it's irreconcilable. Ir irreconcilable. <laughs> irreconcilable. Well done. Right. You got it. You got it. <laughs> um, so we stress test the relationship every day. We are open about things so she knows I'm not lying to her. She knows I'm not bullshitting with her. And when I come to her with stuff, she knows it's serious or it's not serious and I just want to talk or we need to figure this out immediately. And so I see both sides. I see all the sides. But the one thing that we do is we do talk about money in front of the kids. We do talk about things that are bothering us in front of the kids. And I think that's healthy if you fight, yeah. if you fight I mean, right, if you argue right. Yep. And, you, and yep. we always keep a smile on. We always keep a smile on. We don't. We don't always do that. We, we don't always keep a smile on. <laughs> Maybe uh, I don't. I think it's I in my mind. I have a smile on. <laughs> <laughs> there's a. I think there's a reality. I mean, there's a world with conflicts in it. That's real. There's nothing. You know, I don't want to prepare my kids with the belief that shit's all going to always going to be easy. Yeah. That, that's not. That's false. That's complete crap. Oh, that's really. never going to happen that way. Totally. We're going to disagree. Yeah. And and my my wife and I. We disagree, and guess what? We still have to make a decision. Yeah, like a, the kid wants to go to this camp. The camp is more expensive than the other camp. Uh, and we did this. I remember this happened during COVID, right? We had uh, um, one of the kids had a camp that was canceled, and you know we're not gonna. Are we gonna send them to a different camp, or what are we gonna do? We can't get a refund. That camp's gone under. Um, do we? You know, what do we do with that? Uh, and it's like. You, you make the decision. We disagreed, but we still had to. Make we still decision. had to go a direction. We right. had to choose. Right. And so we disagreed. We still. And I was like, "All right, you, this one's yours." Right. Sometimes you just defer, and totally. you have to because you're not going to agree. You're not going to agree. And that does happen. A and lot. that's okay. Yeah, that yeah. does happen a lot. It's okay. Yeah. A little bit peace, more peaceful in the household too. It's kids have to see that. Totally. They have to see that you're not going to agree because, I mean, look at this. They have to. And and my my son actually brought this up sometime. This is really interesting. So you can learn from them as well. Yeah. If it's not, you know, who wrote the book? Don't sweat the small things. It's all small things. Um, doesn't matter who wrote it. But there's, there's a. I kind of treat things like that. Don't sweat the small stuff. It's all small stuff. So I defer a lot, and uh, uh, and I'm sure if you ask Kate, she'd say she defers a lot. So, um, you know, that's also a discussion. But I feel like I defer a lot. Um, and my son said, "Hey, Dad, you know, you don't always have to let Mom have her way." Uh, and I'm like, you know what? If it's not that big a deal to me, it doesn't matter. It's not worth it. If it's about the safety of my kids or if it's about, you know, something I really believe in that's critical. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll go to the mat, but it's gotta be a big deal for me to really go to the mat. I agree it's with gotta that. be a really big deal. Yeah. It's funny. My, my five and a half year old and look, 
this is a daily, yeah, this might be like a, there is a disagreement. There's a, there's a healthy disagreement probably every day. And then there's like that argument maybe like once a week. And my daughter will go, is this a fight? And we'll go, no, this isn't a fight. You want to know what's going on? And then we'll just kind of loop her in. But there are times, there's many times, like it's, it's almost like we're narrating it. Like, listen, else. Mom thinks this, I think this. I think mom's wrong, she thinks I'm she's right. She thinks she's right, she thinks I'm wrong. Like that's okay. One of us is going to see a point here and the other is going to be like, "You know what? Take it on." Same thing you're describing. So she'll sit at, at our kitchen island while her, my while Meredith and I are talking and she's like this. And then she'll go, "Well, who won?" Cuz Meredith and I always like hug or or I'll like I'll like I'll go, all right, I love you. Thanks for, thanks for fighting with me. You know, and it's like, it's peaceful afterwards. There's no grudge. There's no BS. So I go, well, who won? Yeah. And I'll say, well, nobody won. Yeah. Mom's point serves this family more. And I'm cool with that. Yeah. And then sometimes, like, my point serves the family more. And that's cool. Like, I don't want to travel from here to California as we move next month in a Volvo XC90. I want to buy an <laughs> RV and travel in an RV. And Mary's like, uh, no. <laughs> and so I'm pushing my point. And I said, look, I'll sell one of my, I'll sell one of the, I'll sell one of my cars and I'll pay for the RV in cash. And then we'll sell the RV when we get there. Yeah. And she's like, I'm now more open to that. That's right. It's a negotiation. So, <laughs> it's a negotiation. We right? do this stuff it's out. Yeah. Question. Give and take. That's it. It's, you know, that's, that's right. Watching that unfold will help them in their future relationships and their future decision-making. Totally. So before we wrap, yeah. um, talk about your book, Mindful Money. I just, I'm, I, it's, it, I'm really curious about this thing and, and I want to, tell you the, the part that I'm really curious about is you said culturally speaking, wealth is having a bad moment. How should we think about wealth creation in the context of social fabric in the future? I, I didn't, I didn't get that. Okay. So, um, <laughs> culturally speaking, wealth is having a, is having a moment and maybe that's a bad moment. Maybe it's not, but so just, just think about the discussion that's happening currently with, um, Biden's tax proposals for example, mm -hmm. um, or think about the last number of years. Oh, the, I get it. Okay. Right? Sorry. Wealth's having a bad moment in the moment. Okay. never mind. Right. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. Right. Wealth is <laughs> always fantastic when you have it, but in the discussion, right, right, right. it's, it's a having a moment. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, talk about your book, mindful money. Yeah. It's really cool. I love the cover, by the way. Thank you very much. A little flower with a dollar on it. Yeah, yeah. leaves. It's good. Uh, so there's the the book, the the source of the book. Um, in 2000, you know, you might remember. I don't know if you're an investor back then, but 2007, eight, when the world melted down around real estate. I was. Yeah. Uh, so I lost a lot of money. Yeah. But anyone anyone involved in real estate lost a lot of money. I mean, that's. I was young, man, and I in 2004 I bought my first piece of real estate, and the banks were like. Here's another half million dollar line, buddy. You don't even have an income. It's fine. Yep. Keep buying, buy, buy. And yep. I just bought, bought, bought. Yep. And then, and then that un, that unwound for many, many, many people. Um, oh yeah. So I was I was talking to a client in 2009, March of 2009, and she was hesitating to you know this is just her annual contribution to her retirement program. Um, sure. And she was like, you know what? I'm scared. I don't want to make the contribution this year. Um, and I was just talking to her about. This is, this is what it feels like at a bottom. Like this is, I don't know when it's going to turn. I don't know what sort of decisions are going to come down the pike. I, I don't know, you know, if it's going to be two years or five years or 10 years until we get back to even, 
but I do know we're not going to stay here. And I absolutely believe that things will turn. And, and it was the belief that carried the day, not the fear. And if you break it down, I think that applies to everything. I think if you, if you believe in the outcome, if you believe that it's possible, things line up to make it happen. If you are afraid, if you don't believe, things line up so that the fear and the lack of belief come to fruition. And I think that's the that's how our brains work. That's how the universe works. Call it what you want. I think that's kind of how things happen. So, in the book, um, and that at that in that conversation, she said, "Hey, Jonathan, you should you should write a book." Uh, and okay, so I started writing a book in two thousand. I think it was two thousand nine. And I published the book in 2017, so I'm not a fast writer. Uh, I, uh, uh, and the book has three parts. The first part of the book is debunking the myths. It's, it's, it's what, what are the things we learn about finance that are just not true, that are not helpful, that are not yeah. beneficial, that we just continue to repeat over and over and over. You know, cur- currently, I think the best example is the difference between investing and speculating. I think we are all speculating and now media is completely on the speculation curve. No one's investing anymore. Everyone's just speculating and talking about speculation all the time now. Uh, and, and not recognizing the difference leads, that's, that's part of the bullshit in the, in, the, in the investing world. The middle part of the book, we talked about this earlier, the middle part of the book is the research, academic, the thousands of years of um, monastic, you know, search into the meaning of life. How do we get to well-being? How do we get to happiness? And there's like seven or eight things, you know, relationships, yeah. learning, you know, accountability, happiness, these kinds of things, right? That all lead to well-being. Uh, and that's the middle section of the book. We just lay those out, help people pick what's important to them. And then at the end of the book, the last section is, okay, now we know what not to listen to. We know what to think about. How do we put this on paper to create a financial plan to help it all come to fruition? Uh, and if if you go chapter by chapter through the whole book, at the end of the book, you actually have rudimentary, you know, yellow legal pad kind of a thing. But it's it's a financial plan for you personally, and that's that's everything. That for me, I, I say I say stop predicting, start planning, stay mindful. And if you start with that planning and you really lay it all out, you get there. If you don't. You don't even know where there is. And that's the that's the fundamental challenge. Stop predicting. Start planning. Stay mindful. Stay mindful. Love that. All right. Jonathan, thanks for being here with me, man. That was a fast hour. Ian, it was great. I loved it. Yeah, that was a really cool conversation. It's uh it's always a pleasure when somebody wants to volley back and forth, man, it's, it, and, and not really talk about what they came on to talk about. I, I just, you know, why, why not? Like, it's you have a perspective that's different than mine. I want the audience to hear. What, it. What's more important than parenting, man? Nothing. Nothing. That is my last. Because we're creating the next generation. Yep. You know, we're creating the next generation, so we we have a responsibility there, and I talk about it all the time on the show. So, thanks for digging into that, Love and. It. Um, and uh, where can people find your son's album? I want to promote that. I love, I love that he did that work. That layering is tough. Man. I want to celebrate that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great, man. Thank you. It's, uh, his name is Eli, yeah. E-L-I-D-E-Y-O-E. And he's on Spotify, Apple Music. He's everywhere. You can go to his website. I think it's elido.com. Uh, E-L-I-D-E-Y-O-E.com. Love it. Love it. Well, Jonathan Dio, it's been a pleasure, man. Cheers. Have a great one. Thanks. And audience, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.